China has emerged as one of the 21st century's most consequential nations, making it more important than ever to understand how the country is governed. Welcome to Pekingology, the podcast that unpacks China's evolving political system. I'm Jude Blanchett, the Freeman Chair in China Studies at CSIS. And this week, I'm joined by Chris Middlestadt, a departmental lecturer in modern Chinese studies at the University of Oxford. Today, we'll be discussing his recent article, Rebuilding Authority, the party's relationship with its grassroots organizations, which was published in the China Quarterly. Chris, thanks for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me. Huge fan of your podcast. Well, thank you. I wanted to ask how you got interested in China's political system and how you came to uh, be a full-time practitioner of researching and understanding China's Communist Party, its organization and, it, and its structure. What what set you on this journey? Well, I first came to China in 2007 um, to study at Peking University for for a gap year. Eventually, uh, I met people there, and as it happens, you know, life plays out, and you just stayed there. So, as it happened, I did my undergraduate degree at Peking University in international relations, and I ended up staying there for seven years. And afterwards, I came back to Europe, did my graduate degree in, at, in Paris, and then I started my DPhil, my PhD here at the University of Oxford in 2016. So initially, what I wanted to do with the project I applied with was on the party, on intra-party rules and the party's organizational system. But again, uh, life gets in, got in the way, and I, I wrote a dissertation on the Cultural Revolution and party's organization during the Cultural Revolution. And this kind of led me to now focus, um, give it a more uh, 21st century focus uh, to look at the party's organization in the 21st century. But I do hope to go back to the Cultural Revolution at some point. Our discussion today will dig into, as I mentioned at the top, this, this really interesting article that you've published, which looks at something called the thematic party day. And you use it as a vehicle to understand how the center of the party connects with the grassroots sort of vertical linkages. But before I do that, I, I wanted to ask you a unrelated slash related question, which is the last two times that we've interacted, you've made, I think, really interesting and somewhat surprising or countercurrent comments that to me indicate you feel like we're, as we think about China's political system, and its behavior, we, the royal we, individuals such as myself, the media, are overemphasizing, overly simplifying how much power and control Xi Jinping has as general secretary and closely related the amount of functional day-to-day -day control that Beijing has over this very widespread, big, complex political system in China. And if I may uh, violate Chatham House rules, I think you said last week something to the effect of, well, Xi Jinping doesn't really even matter. So I wanted to ask if I got you right, am I understanding your kind of general beef correctly? And if I'm close, can you unpack that a little bit? What, what are you responding to and what do you think would be a more realistic way that external observers such as myself, how should we be thinking about how important or not Xi Jinping is and how much control or lack thereof Beijing has over 
uh, the rest of China's political system. Yes, thank you. Um, it's a very, it was a very provocative question <laughs> to a very provocative statement I, I gave a couple of times. Also here in my everyday classes, I always make the joke in class that, you know, hashtag China is big and you cannot reduce China to uh, one person, which is uh, obviously everybody knows this, right? At, at the same time, I do not wish to say that Xi Jinping doesn't matter at all. I, I merely think that he is being over-exaggerated in the, in the in coverage on China when talking about China, um, etc. And here, of course, there are different levels uh, you, you could look at this. Well, um, the first level might be just in terms of decision-making, right? Um, so he is only one person. He's one person. He exists within the Politburo Standing Committee, within the broader Politburo. The broader Politburo exists within their broader systems, within the military, within the provinces, within the State Council and the NPC, National People's Congress, and so on and so forth. So you would have an, really a system where people would actually, they have to work together, they have to work towards each other. With Xi Jinping, of course, um, being the ultimate decider, right? Uh, so he ultimately, what I, I would think is he makes the decision. But this is a very basic, a minimum requirement for a centralized system in a way. What this neglects is the agency of everybody who surrounds the ultimate decision maker. It neglects the advisors, it neglects where information comes from, it neglects uh, media organizations, it neglects um, intelligence. And of course, talking before the decision is made, uh, you have to talk about what happens after the decision has been made. So assuming Xi Jinping has made a decision, then it must go back into these functional departments. It must go back to the provinces. It must go back to the grassroots. And of course, implementation uh, implementation matters and implementation is very often very different from what the decision stipulated or what the decision wanted. So a lot of people obviously at the grassroots that would then study the spirit of a particular decision, the spirit of the party Congress report the spirit of Xi Jinping's speeches where they adapt uh, a speech to their local circumstances, right? to their local situation. Because obviously a situation in Shanghai or in Hangzhou is very different from, I don't know, Xinhai or somewhere, somewhere else. Resources are different. Education of local implement, implementing cadres is different, uh, etc., which will all re result in uh, different interpretations of what is actually uh, what is actually wanted. So this is not to say that Xi Jinping doesn't matter. Um, I think he as a person, we, at least I don't know that much about him as a person to really definitively say it's driven by him as a character, as a by his personality, etc. Nonetheless, of course, the ruling ideology bears his name, um, etc. But again, uh, another joke I made, I think last time we met is I, I don't think he sits around uh, in the evening and thinks up some Xi Jinping thought with his uh, bottle of Mao Tai or something. Uh, so this all comes from somewhere else. And is then, do we know if it's even approved by him? We don't know. I don't know. Nonetheless, it bears his name. So that's in itself is significant as well. So here, I think we could measure even the centralization of the system, the, the, whether or not Xi Jinping matters by his control over these different parts of the decision-making process uh, from the beginning, where information comes from. Obviously, it has to come from the grassroots somewhere. It has to be made up. It has to be produced and uh, towards the end, towards implementation. And I think if we look at the spectrum, 
then his influence over certain parts of the spectrum is very much variable. So he doesn't have absolute control over every part of the spectrum. This does not mean that he is weaker than Hu Jintao, for example, or Jiang Zemin, for, for that matter. It just means that we, we need a more nuanced analysis of over what level or over what particular aspect he actually has power and what aspect he can actually influence and bend to his will, if you want. Right now, there's a, a very prominent discussion in sort of open media, um, but even I would say I, within people who work on China, given the lackluster performance of China's economy, given some foreign policy setbacks, the most pronounced of which is uh, China's position vis-a-vis -vis Russia during the ongoing war in Ukraine, saber-rattling over Taiwan. There seems to be a lot of disquiet in and around China. The reason this conversation that we're just having now is so important is if you see Xi Jinping operating as just a you know first among equals, part of a broader, almost reflecting a consensus, then China's current position and some of the fragilities and headwinds wouldn't indicate that he's in trouble because it's actually a broader coalition making these decisions, of which, as you say, he's, he's an important decider, but he's not the sole actor who is participating in governance decisions. If he is playing an outsized role and steering the consensus and pushing the system in a direction that he favors, then the headwinds that are very pronounced right now would be pinned on him, and it might signal his political position, I wouldn't say precarious, but certainly the, the prospect of retribution increases the more that he is solely identified as the driver of many of these policy decisions. So where I struggle is, I, I very much agree with a lot of your analysis about the functional realities of China's political system. And in the end, Xi Jinping is one frumpy 69-year-old man, you know, who, who puts his pants on one leg at a time. And, he, you know, it's not like he has a direct telephone line to 90, you know, to, to every decision maker in the system and, and, and he can make a phone call and they'll snap to attention. So I agree with that, but the how we come down on this is he the driver of the is he is he the driver of the political system or is he just reflecting consensus? That's a really important distinction because it would tell you is he going to get himself in trouble if he continues to push in this direction? Tony, I know we we don't have an answer to that necessarily, but just why that's so important for thinking about the political stability within China. Anyway, let's uh but this, I'd like to continue this discussion because I think it is it is so important, and we're all aware of how little we know about how the you know the functional political realities at the top of the political system because that's where power is wielded in such an opaque manner. Making a very inelegant course correction uh, for our conversation, I want to get back to the the topic of of this paper, which. I think very much feeds into the discussion we had because it's thinking about how the the party has been reforming itself and especially you know new types of reform since Xi Jinping took power. But I thought it might be helpful for listeners if I could actually ask you just a level set question, which is the party has ninety two ish million members. How does the center 
keep track of these 92 million members? How, is the party just one big lump of 92 million members? Is, is there some way that the party disaggregates uh, such that it can exert more control over them? Yes, good question. So obviously you're right. I mean, the party is not not a monolith. Uh, it's very much organized uh, in, a, in a Leninist way. It is organized into what I treat in this paper, um, party branches, party groups, in which that exists on the grassroots level, uh, in which normal party members, such as, uh, you know, your high school teacher or just a normal party member in some bureau at a local, in a local government, etc. that do not necessarily have any executive functions that are not party leaders at the local level. This is how they are organized. So they're organized in this what are called party branches and they usually have around uh, 15 members and uh, they are led by a, a secretary and they meet for particular reasons to study etc. Uh, what I treat in this paper and this is just how the vast majority of the party members are organized, uh, which are not executive or which are not do not have executive function. Obviously, the higher you go, you know, you talk about party secretaries of municipalities, of cities, uh, of provinces, etc. These are all party members that uh, have executive functions, right? These are all policymakers. These are all secretaries of their of their particular jurisdictions, of the particular areas, and then. Once you go up, of course, you have the Politburo, right? Uh, the highest executive and then the Politburo Standing Committee, uh, but which are smaller groups, obviously, right? So Politburo Standing Committee, Politburo Central Committee, and then once you come down to the grassroots, really these party branches uh, in which most members are organized. Uh, and, and this comes really from from the Mao era, obviously, right? From the very beginning, the party was really concerned with how it's organized, how it um, develops this kind of, um, people call it this organizational weapon of tight organization to establish a certain, a certain party, a certain state, uh, how to wage revolution and these kind of things. So from the very beginning or, or already, you have um, the party constitution talking about organization and with organization, obviously, then also comes ideology. Can I just ask a, a quick follow on to help give just a tactile sense for what this looks like? So I'm a party member. I work in a you know, Chinese tech company in Shenzhen. Where am I likely to engage with the party? Where would my party organization be? And, and what the heck would I do at a party organization meeting, for example? Yeah, so your party branch would be within the company. Uh, so more and more a private company is... Uh, have established party branches, party committees, which combine several party branches or what they call general party branches. So you would have party committees, general party branches, and below that you would have uh, normal party branches. Uh, you would have within these companies, also, obviously this depends on the company, depending on their resources, depending on where it is, etc. You would have you would have rooms that are dedicated for the use of these party branches, uh, these would have posters, these could have also electronic equipment, these could be small, uh, small museums, etc. Huh? But at the very minimum, uh, what you have, for example, in, in, a, in a primary school, here a, a normal meeting room for the principal, from the principal or from, uh, for the teachers would also double as a, a room where party sessions could happen, uh, where party members would meet uh, for the regular meetings. Huh? So what they do, they have several meetings. So what they have are 
monthly party branch committee meetings. So this would happen once a month, obviously. Then you have meetings that happen quarterly of all party members within uh, within this branch or uh, wider, combining with other branches. You would also have party small groups, like certain members of this branch uh, coming coming together. And you also have what happens once a year is a party class. Uh, and for this party class, for example, they would employ a lecturer from the local party school, or it could be the party secretary could give a lecture. Then they also have what they call as an organizational life meeting. And this usually happens once a year and usually happens in December every year. And also the Politburo, they also do that. So this happens at the very top and kind of filters down uh, so they're emulating what Xi Jinping is doing at the very top here. Also what they have are so-called democratic assessments, which is uh, one way to frame criticism and self-criticism sessions and uh, also heart-to-heart talks to kind of ex- exchange, uh, exchange opinions. And the last part would be these, what I call here in this article, thematic party days. Huh? And these happen once a month. Every month, each party branch must have one thematic party day. So in theory, this would yield four point something million party days per month in any, in any given year. So that's massive. So, let, so let's actually then let's dig into that, which is the core of your article is looking at these thematic party days. And we can, so that it rolls off the tongue, we can use your abbreviation, which is a TPD uh, thematic party day. You use these as a vehicle to understand, as the title of the article says, rebuilding authority. And that is specifically looking at how the party center increases its vertical linkages with grassroots party organizations and therefore members in this massive 92 million member organization. So can I start by asking, what the heck is a thematic party day? What are the origins of these and what are the development? We'll get into the specifics of what a thematic party day looks like if we were participating in it, but just in a more general, what are these and where did these come from? So the origins are in the, in the Mao era. And of course, party members have always been at the grassroots organized within party branches, within party groups, etc. And usually what would happen in Mao era and also in the uh, Deng Xiaoping era, reform and opening period and, and later would be they would come together uh, for a collective study session where they would study central directives, where they would study what the leader has said, where they would study policies and uh, also local directives. Now, uh, with the thematic party days, they have come up more recently, um, starting in 2015, uh, 2014, but localities already start talking about them in the early 90s. Uh, so in 2007, 2008, they have come up already and been described as such. But during this time, uh, they were not distinguishable really from what happened during the Mao era. So they were just very similar to these collective, collective study sessions. You mentioned in the article that although, as you mentioned, these these are not new thematic party days, that really it wasn't until 2015 or so that you began to see these at scale in China. And you were looking in the paper at Beijing specifically and were able to gather, uh, I think, a sample size of 1,400 or so of these, of these party days, which we'll unpack this in a bit. But I wonder if you can surmise as to why in 2015 do these suddenly start to rise in prominence and frequency? 
So I would argue that, um, and I don't, I don't really talk about this in the paper. So it's it's just a hunch, uh, really. So obviously there's a connection to a Xi Jinping really ascending uh, to the general secretaryship. Obviously there's also a relationship to how Xi Jinping himself. I think it, it was in early 20, 2013 when he talked about uh, the Soviet Union's uh, demise. When he talked about why did the Soviet Union fall? Why did the Soviet Union collapse? Well, one part of it was organization. Nobody really knew what the party center wanted. Uh, so you have this kind of collapse of organization at the grassroots. And then the second part would be ideology. And so this would be a kind of a, this, a, this impetus to really not let the CCP have the same fate as the Soviet Union. So this is more like an existential drive to reinvigorate the party's grassroots, organizational and ideological. And I think another one would be also that in 2013, you have the mass line education campaign that started in 2013. And then 2013, 2015, you have the what they call the, the San Yen San Shi, uh, the three stricts and three earnests campaign, which was a study campaign. And in this context, uh, you have new organizational mechanisms really emerging and the thematic party days, uh, the TPD was, was one of them really, where they were first trialed and then institutionalized. Can you walk us through what would we experience as party members if we were participating in a, a thematic party day? And I recognize that uh, there's no one curricula for a thematic party day, but as you waded through the 1400 or so party days, if you could generalize a bit, how long do the activities last? What are we doing? And how large of a group are we interacting with? So as you, as you said correctly, um, there's a lot of variation here. And what usually happens is these thematic party days would be planned, would be planned in advance. So localities would put out uh, notices really detailing, okay, uh, over the next year or over the next few months, this is, these are the, the themes of the thematic party days. Uh, this is what we're going to do. Uh, so this then actually leads to a very great variety, even within the same party branch of these th thematic party days. But uh, just to give you an example, I mean, what, what would we, um, if we have had participated in one of them, what would we see? Well. Party branches can choose from a list of possible actions or possible possible events, really. So one of them would be, for example, the revisiting the oath. So here, everybody would stand up, uh, would stand uh, in front of the Chinese Communist Party's flag, would raise their raise their arms and uh, swear the oath. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, to the party. Well, this just takes a, a few minutes, right? Then, okay, this is one part of it. Uh, then the next part of it would be, okay, everybody sits down, everybody studies, for example, a speech. And this could be any speech, really. Uh, this could be a speech uh, by Xi Jinping that was uh, recently published in uh, the Central Committee's uh, theoretical journal, Xiu Shi, or it could be a speech that he recently gave on some anniversary, or it could be a speech from, from a while ago, or it could be, uh, depending on where the party branch itself is, a themed speech, right? So for example, if the party branch is in the environmental bureau, then the speech could be about uh, Xi Jinping talking about the, the environment. It could also be a, a compilation of speeches. Huh? So we know that there, there are a lot of books that combine and compile excerpts from Xi Jinping's various speeches on certain themes, etc. So they would flip through them. It could also be a PPT on Xi Jinping thought. Huh? So the Ministry of Propaganda or Publicity, <laughs> however you want to call it. 
uh, they put out these PPTs that uh, some party branches, they just put them on and then you just go through these PPTs that include visual aids that are actually not that boring if you look at them. <laughs> so this could be one part. Uh, then what they would do is discuss it. Okay, that's another part. Then they could uh, in the afternoon, uh, and this again, this depends on the, part, on the party day itself. It can last up to one day, up to a full day, uh, from half a day to a full day. Uh, in the afternoon, they could uh, go and uh, visit a museum. Uh, so it could be a field trip. Uh, they could pay respects to uh, martyrs, etc., and engage in what scholars have looked at, you know, retourism, these kind of things, uh, where they would, uh, again, come together as a group and go, go there, go get on a bus and, and go there. And then maybe the party secretary who takes them there, well, he gives a speech or he gives a party class on a certain topic, uh, for example, uh, on the campaign. Uh, the, in 2019, we had the Buang Chusien, uh, do not forget the original mission, a uh, party history campaign. So he would talk about the party's, party's history and what you should learn from it and, and these kind of things. So when we participate in a party day, what we actually have is, what I described here is a, a ritual in itself uh, that is also composed of various rituals in themselves. And this is what distinguishes them really from normal, if you wish, rituals uh, such as parades or just simply revisiting the oath and then going home. Uh, so here we have the combination that makes them really interesting. You've got on about halfway through the article, you in table one, you disaggregate activities of these thematic party days and you break them down into types of integration. So integration with the center, integration with the party, outside integration and, and local integration. If I, I'll just read a few of these just to for listeners, just to get a sense of what this would, would include. So central integration, so activity types that are meant to integrate the grassroots with the center. So that could include studying Xi Jinping speeches, studying central level campaigns, as you mentioned, the staying true to your original aspiration or your, your original mission, studying party rules, so centrally, directed or dictated party rules, studying the, the readouts from party congresses or, or plenums. Integration with the party is, you know, talking about the importance of paying membership dues, visiting memorial sites, commemorating the anti-Japanese war, also known as World War II, studying other model cadres, uh, socialist martyrs, et cetera, et cetera. And just finally, I, I thought interesting, the outside integration which is the party into society. You've got things like trash and garbage collection, planting trees, volunteering. I wanted to ask if you could zoom out and look at this list of the various types of activities that party members are engaged in across these four buckets of central party outside and local integration. What jumps out at you? I mean, what, what of the data was interesting to you in terms of maybe things they were doing more of than you would have originally thought, and vice versa. What are things that they're doing less of here that is surprising or interesting to you in terms of what it tells us for priorities that the party is trying to, to implement? So I think what was interesting was that Xi Jinping himself as a person or his speeches were relatively speaking de-emphasized uh, in, in favor of the party. So here Xi Jinping as a person, as uh, the purveyor of Xi Jinping thought, takes a step back 
and the party itself and its values, uh, its hundred year history and, and these kind of things really come into the foreground and are really emphasized. Yeah. So loyalty mostly to the party. And then we have, uh, then we have a, a far away second, really, um, the, the, leadership pers- the leadership itself. And here, of course, Xi Jinping. Nobody else really is mentioned and I don't really study anyone else's speeches, which is not surprising, I have to say. I mean, you have the, the odd party branch that looks at Li Keqiang, uh, who said something, uh, but it's, if it's leadership, it's, it's Xi Jinping. Another thing that, that stood out uh, was outside integration. So here we have volunteering and uh, this really emerged as a theme in 2020, uh, 2019, 2020. And here we have party members really uh, being compelled uh, during their thematic party days uh, really to go out and serve, serve the local community. Um, this can take many different, uh, many different ways, right? But of course, in 2020, it was mostly as a response to COVID-19. So we'll have to see if this is an, an outlier or if this actually fits together with what we can see within broadly uh, China, uh, where we have a, a new emphasis on, on volunteering, for example, in, in the cultural sector, or uh, some scholars have pointed out the emergence in 2018 of these new era civilization centers that ostensibly propagate Xi Jinping thought and their main force would also be volunteers and 80% or more percent of these volunteers would also be party members, right? So here we could have an integration of volunteering, outside integration within the party and then really moving out into, into society. What also surprised me was that local integration really was was quite low. So in integration, for example, with, with local businesses, uh, so party members going out and supporting local businesses or helping them or talking to them, seeing how they can help them as party members uh, from within their own from within their own bureaus, uh, government bureaus or, or, or whatever. This was also quite surprising. Also, in general, local integration was, was very low. So they do not pay that much, much attention to what is happening politically on a local level. Uh, so everything is turned towards this metaphysical almost party and then the party leadership and its, its documents. I guess the, the big question about all this is what is the functional impact of this increasing usage of thematic party days to, as you say in the subtitle, try to strengthen the, the center's relationship with grassroots organizations? Is there anything we can know yet about are these effective? Are these increasing linkages between the center, the grassroots? Does studying speeches, slogans, campaigns, policies, plenum readouts through thematic party days, is this reinforcing and strengthening the center's control over or integration with grassroots? Or is it too early to tell? Or is that not the right question to be asking? So honest answer, we, we don't know. Um, this, uh, we would have to really look at this and do, 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 do proper field work. Um, what... This definitely means, however, is or the the institutionalization, the the putting forward of these thematic party days and their increased prominence. What this really means is to make party members at the grassroots uh, deployable. So here, what what we are seeing is the strengthening of these linkages means that the party exerts a claim on on these 
on these members per se. So it doesn't matter really if the local party member, if they participate and they, they don't believe in it or they don't, they don't care about this or if they believe in it or if they just participate because they, they must. It's, to some extent, this doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because participation in itself, the performance of participation in itself, even if it's divorced from any sort of content, still has consequences for the individual in terms of their relationship to, to the party organization, to the party organization in general. This could have disciplinary consequences. For example, uh, you studied this, you should know this, and we know you did this. Okay, so we can, we can test you on this and we can discipline you for this. Or, uh, well, you gave the oath, uh, you took the oath, and now we hold you to it. And you cannot say you didn't do it. Right. And I, I guess this also happened during the, the COVID-19 outbreak when some prominent doctors were like, or I think it was a Shanghai CDC director was like, OK, we sent party members to the front lines because they, they, they gave the oath. We hold you to it. And so you go, you, you do this. So it doesn't matter whether or not they actually believe in it. Uh, so to the extent that TPDs really foster and institutionalize this kind of linkage, they do matter. Final question, and just prompted by your comment now that really the way to fundamentally assess the efficacy or effectiveness of these would be proper fieldwork. How do you think about the field of studying China's political system from outside of China in an era where visits to China will become or look like they're going to become structurally more difficult and discussions with actors in China around political topics will likely continue to be sensitive. Do you think this fundamentally sh shifts how younger scholars like yourself and incoming scholars now doing their PhDs, is this just a paradigm shift of how you'll have to do this work? Where do you and your colleagues, the, the discussions you're having about sort of methodology, where do these sit in light of current on the ground developments in China? That's a good question. Uh, obviously, uh, at some point, I do want to go back and do some field work. And obviously, this kind of research, especially this kind of research, would very much benefit from field work. That being said, I mean, this research and a lot of research I do can also be done without field work. I think it, there's a lot of space still to do research, to do good research uh, without the necessity of field work. That, however, could be enhanced if field work was possible. But I still think, even without field work, I think there's still a lot that can be said about China both in terms of theory, both in terms of also data that's just out there that is not 100% being utilized. So for example, uh, local government websites, uh, for example, uh, WeChat, uh, etc. So these are all resources that can be utilized more. I guess that I'm also using my own research, but yeah, it's, it's hard. <laughs> hard, but, but as this paper that you've Publish shows there's still so much that we can learn through you know open source research and and I have to say I, I found this a really 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 interesting paper and the topic that you're tackling here you know sort of cent central local relations within the party is uh, is just incredibly important so I thought this was really really great I appreciate the discussion today, which I also found really interesting and important. And so uh, thank you for your time, Chris, and I look forward to reading your next piece of research. Thank you so much for having me.
If you enjoy this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 